Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, Feisty Podcast listeners. I hope everyone enjoyed the last couple of episodes that were recorded live from the stage at the VinFast Ironman World Championship. And while I know not everyone aspires to do an Ironman, let alone qualify for a world championship, I do think there is a lot to learn from people who race well over 140 miles. And I also believe everyone can do badass shit no matter what it is. So if you want to, and the mental skills in particular apply across the board, regardless of your challenge. Today, we have a unique interview that I know will speak to many of you. So some regular listeners may remember an episode from a couple months ago when I talked to Canadian rowers Jill Moffat and Jenny Casson. They are our lightweight pair who actually have since then qualified for the Olympic Games in Paris. So yay, Jill and Jenny. Uh, but when I spoke to them a few months back in the second half of that conversation, we talked about the abuse they suffered in a toxic training environment with a coach who created division and chaos within the team and staff, sometimes pulling in athletes to a point of blurring lines in relationships while pushing other athletes and staff away so much they didn't feel like they deserved to be there. Toxic is definitely the word for the environment that they were in at that time. And unfortunately, in particular in women's sports, where sexual misconduct is also rampant, these situations are not uncommon. Toxic training environments and cultures are also sometimes difficult to explain and discuss. Some actions are easy to identify as bad behavior, like physical violence, sexual harassment, or worse. But when a coach's behavior is more subtle and hard to point to, it is more easily swept under the carpet. And here I mean things like gaslighting the athletes, not trusting the athletes' own knowledge of their bodies, talking negatively behind the backs of the athletes who have entrusted that coach with their future. Because at the end of the day, most coaching relationships involve some level of power for the coach over the athlete. The coach tells the athlete what to do, the athlete trusts the coach and does it, and this relationship can sometimes be abused by the coach in both small and big ways. So today I'm talking with Ali Brower and Caroline Shannon. Allie and Caroline were part of a training environment that was both toxic and abusive. We talk about what that looked like for them, 
how they handled it both then and now, and some of the physiological repercussions they have suffered. And perhaps most importantly, we talk about what to look for if you're in an abusive coaching relationship and how to identify that and trust your instincts. So before we get started, I just want to say a big thank you to Allie and Caroline for sharing this difficult struggle with us so that others can avoid the same. Lovely. Caroline, so good to see you today. I love having triathletes on the podcast, although I try not to get like too geeky about triathlon for our audience, but welcome. Um, how are you both doing today? Very well. well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah so excited. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's start with you, Ali. I like to ask people like, did you, and I'm always super curious because everyone seems to have a different um, entry point into sport. Ali, did you grow up playing sports? Yeah. Um, so I actually grew up doing a pretty wide variety of sports. Um, I started with ballet, um, I think when I was four until I was six. And then I told my mom, I don't want to be a girly girl anymore. Um, and that's when I started swimming. Um, so I started club swimming when I was six. Um, and at this point, I lived in Bend, uh, Oregon, which is a very active community. Um, so it, the lifestyle there is just doing tons of different sports. So I played soccer. Um, I rock climbed. I tried basketball. Um, I did cross-country skiing. Um, but eventually got into club track and cross country in addition to club swimming. And those are the two activities that stuck um, throughout high school and then into college. Um, and I competed in all three. So swimming, track and cross country at Lewis and Clark in Portland, Oregon, which is a division three school. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. I think I was the only three sport athlete at Lewis and Clark. Um, so it is, it's pretty rare. I've heard two before, you know, which is also amazing. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Um, and what about you, Caroline? Similar to Allie, I kind of started in the world of playing everything. Um, I grew up kind of with the 91 team kind of being the first team that I was aware of followed by the 96 Olympics, which kind of kick-started all of the sports for me. Um, And I started with soccer and I played every sport imaginable from soccer and lacrosse to tennis and swimming and (laughs) did ballet as well, Ellie. Um, And then finally, kind of around sixth grade, I realized I can't do anything that involves hand-eye coordination and I should just stick to anything that involves my feet. Um, or do sports that don't involve any coordination at all. Uh, so there was a lot of flailing, there was a lot of swimming, there was a lot of running, um, kind of kept the soccer around through until high school, and then kind of made the decision then that I wanted to go to college and swim in college. Um, and then I swam at Vassar all four years, tried to do the two-sporter, uh, didn't work out, Tears galore um, after two practices of track my freshman year. And that was that. 
and be stuck with swimming basically yeah, yeah, yeah. it um <laughs> that's funny so you're saying like when you were a kid you realized you had um you didn't have good hand-eye coordination but you had good like what's the right foot, foot, eye, coordination? foot eye coordination I guess <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing I thought those things went together but I guess so. I have no clue I was much better at soccer than I was at any hand-eye coordination sport and that was basically right. the only one that involved a ball that I was somewhat somewhat good at yeah, I I can say the same, but to be honest, like I played midfielder in soccer, um, and I think the only reason I was really good was that's the position where you run the most, and I was just good at running. So <laughs> I don't think I was actually that skilled at soccer. I think I quit right at the age where like skill starts to matter. So <laughs> right, I mean, being in the right place at the right times is an important yeah. part of soccer. I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was I. I'm a weirdo. I um, I write with my right hand, but I play sport with my left. So oh. I was a left wing. So nice. I could just dribble up the side of the field and do damage on that side, but right. protect the ball at all costs. Right-handed. And so you, wow. Okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's can't draw point. with my left. Can't write with my left at all, but right. I can but play sport left-handed. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and then you both, you know, at some point you both made your way to triathlon. Um, Caroline, what did you first, like, when did you first take up the sport and what did you love about it when you first started? So this is always something that's funny and kind of strange. Um, I did my first triathlon in 2002 or 2001. I was 11 at the time. Um, it was like right before 9-11. So yeah, 2001. Um, there was this championship meet every summer for summer summer swimming. Um, and that year they basically gave free entry to all the kids in the top eight of the 200 free and the 200 IM. And I was in top eight and I was like, hey, I can swim, I can bike, I can run. Let's see what happens. Like, I don't know what the sport is, but cool. Um, and basically didn't touch the sport after that until 2011 when I saw an ad with my brother in the car and we looked at it and we're like, this is in our backyard. We can do this. Let's try again. And that's kind of like when I got back into triathlon, it was like right as I was finishing up college and was looking for an outlet for competitive juices and continuing to compete. I knew I wasn't done with sport, so it felt right. And that's when I really got into it yeah. and it was just fun to compete. Yeah. What about you, Allie? Um, so after I graduated from Lewis and Clark, um, I did a master's in applied math in nine months. Um, and school was so intensive during that nine wow. months. That, yeah, it was a little bit insane. Um, I didn't train at all, basically. Like I, I kept active enough to like keep myself alive, I guess. Um, when I was like going through that um intense nine months of school, but that was the like longest organized or longest break I have taken from organized sport in my entire life. And I just didn't feel mentally healthy um, after that period of time um, without sport in my life. I felt like the balance kind of swung too far in the direction of academics. Um, so I moved to Boulder to start a PhD in uh, summer 2016. And at that point, Similar to Caroline, I was looking for a competitive outlet, um, and I 
had kind of considered triathlon in the past, but I don't think I touched a bike after the age of like 13. So biking wasn't really something I was into at all. I had never ridden a road bike. So that was pretty intimidating when thinking about doing triathlon. But CU Boulder at the time was, I think, the seven time defending a collegiate club national champions. Um, and I saw those national championship banners when I was swimming in the rec center pool one day. And I just thought that would be so cool to be a part of. Um, So I actually ended up reaching out to a grad student on the team and asked him like how he was juggling um, triathlon and school. And he um, was super encouraging and told me like I could definitely make it work, Um, helped me find my first TT bike on Craigslist. um, And the rest is history. Well, and then from that point, I mean, because you both of you sounds like you were already swimming, both of you at at a very high level. Um, Ali, when did you first think, oh, maybe I could go pro or maybe I could be an elite athlete at this? Um, So I'm a very competitive person and I'm also like a total numbers nerd. Um, Like I'm very into data. So before I even did a triathlon, like I was looking up results from collegiate club nationals and looking at the splits. Um, like I, I knew nothing about biking, but looking at the swim and run splits and being like, I think if I get biking down, I can be competitive. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it took top five to get your elite license at collegiate nationals. So I thought maybe in a few years that could be plausible. Um, I didn't grow up with any aspirations of going pro. Um, and even when I started triathlon thinking I might be good at this, I didn't really have any aspirations of doing anything as a pro either. Um, I, yeah, I was mainly just looking to be competitive again. Um, but then I ended up winning my first race, um, which was our regional championships and getting fifth at collegiate club nationals in 2017 in my second race. So I did end up qual- qualifying for my elite license pretty much right off the bat. Cool. Yeah, just like when talent shows up, it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Uh, what about you, Caroline? Well, I started doing triathlons kind of just every summer when they were local and around the area. Um, I remember after the first one, I got like a, the email from USAT being like, congratulations, you qualified for nationals. And I thought that that was the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> Like, bar nothing, it was the most ridiculous thing. I'd never qualified for NCAAs, never qualified for U.S. Nationals for swimming or for running anything, and, like, barely biked. Like, I was biking to commute to work, and that was it. Um, and I was there, I was like, this is hilarious. Um, take someone who's mediocre at best at all three disciplines, and suddenly they're good at the sport. Um And I was just like, there's no way I'm going. Um, So I just kind of continued doing my thing of like, there were four in the area every year, every summer. And I just kept on being like, all right, well, during the school, during the year, I do nothing. And then during the summer, I bang out every single local try that there is. Um, And like, pretty quickly, there were a couple of girls in the area that were kind of better than me, but like, still kind of competitive like Cecilia Davis Hayes is one Nicole Falcaro is another um and so we kind of like were able to push each other a bit to kind of bring out the best of each other on the day um but it simply wasn't enough and then 
Cecilia and I qualified for nationals again in 2015. And that's when my brother and I were like, let's go and let's do it. Um, And so I raced nationals that year. Didn't really think anything of it. I really wasn't training at all. Um, And then afterwards, my coach was like, you just qualified for world championships as an age grouper in your first nationals. Like, and I was like, I guess, like, what is that? Mm -hmm. Like, didn't have any clues to what that meant. Um, And he was like, I feel like the bike that you just put out is good enough to get a pro card next year if you try. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but let's try for it. Like, if you think that this is a thing that I could do, let's do it. Um, And this guy was just like a local age group coach in the area. And like a friend of mine, like an age group guy friend of mine was doing well with this guy. And I was there, I was like, all right, let's try it. Let's see. Like, I'll pay for a year and see what happens. Um, And then at New York City in 2016, I finished second of the age groupers behind Cecilia. And, oh, wow. The two yeah. of you together. Yeah. And so we took our cards that year, that like winter. Right. 2017 was my first summer. So when you had that first result, like at U.S. Nationals, did you really, like, it sounds like the, your coach sort of told you that you had performed well, but did you really not have a sense of that at all? I was like, I was disappointed in myself for that race. Like, oh, really? Been, yeah. I mean, I had been like the big fish in the small pond mm-hmm. before going to nationals. And like, there were a couple of girls that I came out of the water with, I came off the bike with them and I simply couldn't hang with them on the run. And I was just like, so mad that I hadn't been able to like go with them. And so I had no idea where I had placed what I had done. And like, I was like, okay, whatever. That was that. That was a good experience. (laughs) Yeah. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. 
You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. At some point, okay, the two of you, you're like on kind of an upward trajectory in in the sport, right? Um, And at some point I'm aware because we've had previous conversations that that upward trajectory was kind of derailed, um, if you will. So can you, Ali, maybe let's start with you. Could you just sort of tell us that story? Like how, you know, you're on your way up, you're improving, 
when did you start to notice that something wasn't quite right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this actually happened over a period of about four years. Um, so I'll have to go back um, to 2017 after I qualified for my elite license. Um, at that point, triathlon was becoming the biggest passion in my life, and I was super burned out on academia. Um, so I actually ended up quitting my PhD program um, and deciding uh, to focus on competing as an elite in triathlon. Um, I really wanted to train with a group because um, I've always enjoyed training in group settings in the past, and I thought that would be the way to get the most out of myself. Um, so I saw ads that a coach was putting out for like a summer training camp in 2018. Um, so I applied and I was accepted. Um, and this coach also had plans to turn this two month summer camp into a full time daily training environment or DTE. Mm -hmm. um, so he I ended up going out for the summer camp and then he ended up coaching me for the next four years. Um, I'd say pretty quickly on um, in this group training environment, there were a lot of red flags, um, but my success was on an upward tra trajectory and it continued on that upward trajectory, like from 2018 through 2021, like despite a lot of injuries, like I was continuously improving in the swim and bike, even when I couldn't run. Um, and then when I did get back to racing, um, especially in 2021, um, I transitioned to 70.3, um, had two pro podiums qualified for 70.3 worlds had the best races of my life. Um, and during that year is probably when a lot of things started bubbling to the surface. Um, so I'd say the first sign that things were going downhill, um, was my mental health started degrading and I've had mental health issues in the past. Like I've struggled with depression and anxiety, but I've never really felt that, um, athletics was actually detracting from my mental health. Um, so 2021 was the first time in my life that I have felt that um, I felt incredibly burned out on sport. Um, and that's not something that I had ever experienced before. So that was a big red flag to me. Um, I just struggled with motivation. Um, it was hard for me to work up the energy to even get out the door to training. Um, I dreaded team sessions because um, I was struggling with a lot of the dynamics on the team at that point. Um, and yeah, it just, it took all of my energy, <laughs> all of my mental and physical energy to get out for my workouts. And aside from that, I just wanted to like lay in bed and isolate myself in my room. Um, so that was kind of the first sign that things were going downhill and that um, mental um, like that increase in mental health issues happened before my physical health actually started to degrade. Mm -hmm. you, you, when you're saying, so you went on the summer camp and then you did join this training environment, this DTE. Yes. It's, I, when you say DTE, like I'm almost, <laughs> I almost cringe a little bit. About mm -hmm. it. Like just knowing like, you know, because I've been part of a training group in the past as well. Um, and I know how that environment can work. And I know that um, the people, like often the people who did the best, like came and went from that environment and weren't necessarily there all of the time. Um, and that also like daily training, sorry, it just makes me feel like just 
gives you that sense of like someone's trying to control everything you know and like (laughs) at some point we need to like have a beer and some pizza and like just chill out you know (laughs) or Mm -hmm. or whatever that looks like so um I'm having a bit of a a little bit of PTSD (laughs) as well oh yeah (laughs) but um, and Caroline am I right you were part of this same um training group yeah. So after taking my pro card in t- at the start of 2017, I did one year with that same coach that kind of got me to my pro card. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I had grown up in a program for swimming where the overarching idea was, if it's not broke, why fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so since I'd had success with him as an age grouper, had qualified for my pro card, I thought, there's no reason not to continue with him into my pro career until things don't go well or don't progress. Um, And the understanding was always that at some point I was going to outgrow his program and I was going to have to move on. Um, And so by the kind of September of 2017, I was like interviewing a whole bunch of different coaches that coach mostly elite athletes with like one or two age groupers who are kind of up and coming. Um, And I ended up seeing the same ad that Allie did um, for this training environment that was going to be for the summer of 2018. Um, I also was accepted and I kind of, I started with that coach in November of 2017, like very end of November. Um, At first, it was everything that I wanted, and I kind of was just like, all right, this is great. Like, I'd never trained with power before. I'd never done a winter of training on a turbo. I had really never spent much time in the pool. Like, we hadn't really done anything substantial in the pool. I'd basically been doing a track session, a long run, and two longer bike rides a week, and that was where I was at. You've never been training in a pool? No, I didn't. From the time I graduated from college until like I joined his program, I basically was on my own. It was like the understanding was I was going to do what I was going to do when my swim was fine. Right. Um, Yeah. And so I kind of was just like, all right, we're going straight back into like swimming five days a week, like not nearly as much as what I did in college, but like there were two other sports that I had to train and like I was all in on it and I was like totally okay but I was working full-time as a French teacher at an independent school in New York City which definitely kind of made the decision to go with a program that was going to allow me to do summers with the team and then like you said Sarah kind of get out of it for the school year and come back for for breaks and like come back for like two weeks here, two weeks there, followed by like the full summer with the team. Um, that was an understanding when I joined the team. Um, and then 2018, I felt like during that summer, things were going well, like dynamics kind of similar to what Ali had of not really enjoying the team training sessions um started for me that summer like I went from being excited to be driving up to Massachusetts to do this training environment to basically dreading every single workout within months 
like within weeks of joining the day- daily environment, I was like, I felt very much like I had been put out on an island and that everything was being kind of, I was getting alienated from everybody in the house and like stuff was being said about me and it got really toxic. Um, there were a couple phone calls that summer to my parents being like, do I stay? Do I stay the whole time? Do I cut out early? Like, but then again, I was seeing results, right? Like I was getting better. I was having, like, I had my first front pack swim with that coach. I had my first, like, I came off the bike in another race first off the bike. And I was there, I was like, I've never raced as well as I have raced this year. And then I went down to New York City and had the best race of my life at New York. Um, I didn't have a great result in terms of like placing, but in terms of my times on that course, I had the best race that I've ever done on that course. And that's the only thing that you can compare to, right? Um, And so I was like super excited. I was really motivated. Kind of end of August was great. And then I got hit by a car in like the day after we raced in Montreal, um, I was out for a shakeout bike ride and just got pummeled by a car, T-boned. And that's kind of when things started to go really south for me. Um, I spent a year rehabbing a concussion. I still have lasting injuries that never got fixed. Um, It hasn't really affected me since like I've done the rehab etc um but yeah so 2019 was a complete wash I didn't race at all or rather I came back to racing raced in Florida that March um but I have zero recollection of that race like I was blacked out the entire race I somehow got myself around the course there are photos of me on the course, so I know I was on the course. I finished the race, but I don't remember it at all. And it's the only Be- because you were having concussion symptoms, right? Yeah, because I was so terribly concussed, and I had mentioned that I was having symptoms, but it hadn't been diagnosed, and it was like, and I was told just to continue racing, and so I did, um, because I didn't know better, um. And that kind of started the re-alienation of me with the group. Um, there were no invitations to come up and train with the group that summer. There were no invitations that winter when I had time off from school, from teaching, to come train with the group. Um, 2020, obviously, we know what happened. So I stayed remote. Um, and that was the year where I kind of was like, all right, things are turning around. Like maybe it was just because I was injured that I was kind of ostracized and like put off to the side. Um, and then 2021, I started racing again. Raced once was, I had switched over from short course to 70.3, similar to Allie. We made that change during COVID. Um, and I was shocked that I, like I was, hoping to just get around the course, right? And remember everything. And I was happy to have finished the race and not ended up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I got off I got off the course, I finished, I got to my phone and my like morning bag 
And like, there was already a phone call being like, what in heaven's name did you do? Like the power that you were pushing and you were supposed to be pushing was not acceptable. And like, this is comparing coach me, calling you yeah, to, oh wow. Berate, like just started berating me and like started comparing me to the person, like to the top three finishers of the race in all three disciplines. And I was saying, I was like, didn't realize that we were going for a win here. We were just trying to see if 70.3 racing was something that would allow me to get back into the sport, let alone race professionally. Um, And I kind of sucked it up and took it in that moment. But about two weeks later, everything came crashing down when I got a text message um, about basically just very callous about my concerns about a race that was going to be in Virginia in the heat of the summer. And I've never raced well in heat. Mm -hmm. I asked for guidance in terms of how to acclimate because New York does not get as hot as Virginia until August. And this race was in June. And I was basically told until you get proper execution of a swim, bike and run, we are not going to touch your mental health because it's not important. And that was the final straw. Wow. Okay. So just to unpack this a little bit more, first of all, you two, so you're in the same training group. Are you friends at this point? You know, definitely not. Okay. I, I think we should discuss this because this is like something that's very indicative of a toxic training environment, I think. Um, so Caroline and I actually met at a race in Claremont in March 2018 and we hit it off really well and I would have considered her a friend at that point and then we moved to the daily training environment the two-month camp um, in June 2018 and very quickly that friendship degraded. Um, I was in a position where I was the coach's favorite And I think I learned very quickly if I acted a certain way, if I did everything he wanted to a T, I was going to get the most attention and the most emotional and financial support. So I'm a people pleaser by nature. Um, So it was incredibly easy for me to get stuck in that pattern and like to do everything I could to continue being the favorite. And then we have Caroline who is like, the scapegoat, uh, basically like that whole summer, um, there was a narrative that Caroline was not committed, um, that she was faking injuries, (laughs) basically like that she was a terrible athlete and that the coach didn't care about her as much as everyone else. And I think he played a huge part in furthering that narrative and like talking crap about her behind her back. And like, (laughs) it got to the point where I think like everyone on the team was um like cordial and like nice to her face but like there's a lot of shit talking going on behind her back um and this is something like i i felt guilty about it even in like even at that time but mm. as someone in an environment like that like you're just doing everything you can to survive and so like i feel terrible that like i Um, you know, didn't stand up for Caroline. And I just kept doing what would be better for me at that time, um, which was remaining the favorite of this coach. So Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And like during that time, like I was fully aware of how much shit talking was going on behind my back because the house was a, I don't know, what would you think, Allie? I think it was like a hundred year old, like flimsy wall. It was a super old house. We had no, Um, there was no AC. I was, and it it was like a, it it was a super hot summer too. And Caroline was given the worst room. Like, I, I'm pretty sure on purpose. Like, we got there and, like, there was nothing. There was no fan in my room. My room was the size of a broom closet. Like, I had, like, I haven't slept on a child's bed since I was a child. Um, And this bed was smaller than that. Like, I am 5'5". Five five. I'm not a tall person. And my feet hung over the end of the bed. And then my feet were like almost on the wall. So it was like my head at one end of the wall, my feet were touching the other end of the wall. And like, that was my room. What And what's the thinking on that? Like, is this like some kind of, like, what is the coach saying about this living in this place? Like, is this like a, supposed to be building toughness, you know, if you don't have AC or or what's the... I think, I think was- to some extent it's like a fake toughness thing, but also it was about finances. <laughs> like right. it, it was yeah. kind of like the only place we could get. And then the only place that if you split the rent eight ways or whatever, like everyone can afford. But I, I at least had like a wall AC unit in my room. <laughs> Caroline did not. And like, I, So I think it's also important to say that there were eight of us. There were three women and five men Mm -hmm. so there was no room for us to be sharing a room where three girls were in one room and the boys were in other rooms um so it then became a question of what room can function as a bedroom for the the odd woman out and i from day one I was clearly not favored. Um, It was abundantly clear that even though the two previous races that we'd done with him prior to getting to the DTE, um, I was the second best woman in the group, like in terms of the results that I'd had. Um, But I was being treated like I was the worst of everybody in the group. Um, And I think in part it's because I was willing to push back enough to say, no, I'm here for the summer. I have a full-time job. I'm not willing to give up my health insurance that my full-time job gives me. I'm not willing to move, like uplift my entire life and move to God knows where um, at the drop of a hat when I'm not financially stable enough to do so like I was also the oldest athlete in the group right by five years right yeah and I think you know like what I want like what I want our audience to understand is like you know how like the two of you you showed some promise in triathlon right you responded to an ad to for a coach that was going to kind of try to take you to the next level you had some good results and I mean I think this is like from what you said there Ali and Caroline you can tell me if this is true for you to, for you too like there, there's not just um like a toxic mental environment if you will but like also Ali sounds like you had symptoms of LEA and red ass right is that is that accurate Yes, 
Um, and Caroline can speak to this as well. But the first, the summer we were there, starting June 2018, um, there were restrictions placed on us with regard to the food that we could eat. So basically, there is a no junk food rule in the team house. And I'm someone who historically has eaten ice cream every single night. And mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have never given that up. Like I've always had a fairly healthy relationship with food, but that summer um, I obviously was not allowed to have ice cream in the team house. Um, So I stopped eating that and other junk foods. And I, I think what happened is those foods, like they add a lot of calories to your diet. And like, when you're an endurance athlete and you're training 20 to 25 hours a week, you can't just get all of your calories from healthy foods. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's almost impossible. Like I, I feel like I, I need some of those quote junk foods to like stay healthy and like get enough calories, but I stopped eating them. Um, I started hiding chocolate bars in my room. So the coach wouldn't see them because he would come to the team house between practices occasionally. And he would, like make jokes about the foods that people were eating. Like I very clearly remember eating Annie's bunny grams at lunch. And he was joking with me that that was an unhealthy food. He'd, you know, look in our fridge and refrigerator and like basically raid them and like joke about throwing out our foods that he considered unhealthy. So I'm going to stop you right there. He Mm -hmm. did throw out an entire freezer full of frozen vegetables. What? Yep. Why vegetables? Because because frozen food is processed and is junk. Yeah. What were you supposed to eat? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, So to finish that thought, I, (laughs) I ended up like taking in, I think less calories than normal because my diet changed in that way. And within a month in that environment, I skipped my period for the first time ever. I had never skipped a month of that environment. So, so that happened really quickly. So you're, you clearly eating less calories than you were used to eating. So you become energy, whatever you call it, you're in low energy availability and immediately missed your period. Yeah. And I, I think, um, like usually low energy availability and red S are like more chronic and my training load had also been increasing, um, like since March of that year. Um, so I, I only trained like 10 to 12 hours a week before I started with this coach. And then by the summer, I think I hit my first 20 hour week. So that was a a pretty big increase in a matter of months at the same time. Like there's a lot of life stress, like, I had gone through a breakup. I moved across the country. And so I'm sure there were a lot of contributing factors, but my diet changing like has to be one of the major ones because like looking back, like, I mean, my diet has never changed like that before. And it's like snap within a month. I'm missing a period for the first time ever. Hmm. Yeah. What about you, Caroline? Did, like, did you have any symptoms of LEA or red S? I mean, so yes and no. Um, I, similar to Allie, relied on chocolate as like a dessert. Like I would have one or two pieces of chocolate every day. That's um, so normal, right? Like that's not a ton of chocolate. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah. <laughs> um, and then like, in addition to that, like I 
had just finished grad school at that point. I'd been a teacher for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of finances, I was not really in a position to be spending an arm and a leg on like proper, quote unquote, proper nutrition to take on bike rides and long runs, et cetera. Like I didn't have the money to be spending on training gels and shoes and Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, And at that point, I actually already knew the person that would become my coach after this whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that she had kind of like mentioned off like in a post somewhere or something was that she would use um, like Sour Patch Kids for a substitute for her like Mm. shoes on the bike. I used to do that. I would eat candy. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was like, that's brilliant. I love some good Sour Patch, like watermelon. Let's use that on the training rides because I can get a giant pack at Target for $4.00 rather than spending $4 on one pack of like 16 mm-hmm. little like God knows what shoes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so like I had fi- found these like workarounds, but again, I also had to put all of those in my room because I was concerned that they would get confiscated and thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a month, I didn't lose my period, but I had the worst period cramps and period experience of my life I thought I was like I thought I needed to get hospitalized like Mm -hmm. it got so bad that I got out of a workout and like at that point in time I wasn't in the like I knew that like the only way to survive was to do every workout to like to completion I like otherwise we were going to get berated and that was not something that I wanted Mm -hmm. um and like I was there knowing that I had to, like, it was clear to me when I entered the DTE that every single workout was a test to see if I could cut it, quote unquote, mm. with the other people. And right. I was saying, like, I know I'm making the sets. I know I'm making, like, I know I'm pushing myself just as hard as the other girls are on bike rides, but somehow what I was doing was not enough. Um, and that, I mean, it started in June by July 7th, I had my period and I was in so much pain. I had to get out of the pool and I was crying in the locker room during the rest of the bikes, the rest of that swim session. And on the way home from the pool, I have never in my life puked from period pain. Mm -hmm. And I puked my guts out on the side of the road. I had Allie stop the car and I got out of the car and I retched my guts out. And somehow I still was faking it. Yeah, I'll just jump in here and like what what Caroline said about like needing to prove herself. Like what it felt like to me was that summer was at, since I was the favorite and Caroline was like the scapegoat. It was like we were pit against each other um, in training. And at the time, I felt like Caroline was just trying to race me constantly. And I was just exhausted by that. Like I was annoyed, irritated. And looking back, like it's so clear what was going on. Like I didn't see it then. um, And that obviously affected my relationship with her negatively because I like (laughs) could not stand training with her. But looking back, you see that she's trying to do everything she can to get this coach's attention. 
because no matter it's like no matter what she did it wasn't good enough but then she sees me just being like doted on by Mm -hmm. him and she's doing the same things I'm doing but she's not getting that kind of attention Mm. like we would we would be he put us in lanes next to each other so that we couldn't swim in the same lane and Mm. we would do 2100s threshold Oh, so you're going head to head, essentially. Like that's what he was saying. Yeah, up. and he did. Yeah. He did this and in like, open, I would touch open the water wall as well. Aim at the same time as her, mm-hmm. and she got doted upon. And like, I was told you need to be two seconds faster per hundred. Mm-hmm. Like, there was never a time in the training peaks, like where it was obvious to me that like I was doing enough. So I was like, all right, well, apparently a one oh whatever it was that we were holding that at that point in time is not enough. I need to push it harder and like just bury myself further. And like I was just burying myself because he was he was making it so that it was like whatever I was doing to keep pace with what Allie was doing was not enough for him to like say, okay, that's fine. I had better race results. Um, and I think this set a precedent very early on that the top performing athletes were always going to get the most attention. And I think this is important to note because a, a lot of um a lot of coaches in these DTEs will say like everyone gets equal attention, but that is not true at all. It was very clear in our environment that to get the most attention either you needed to be the top performer or you needed to do everything exactly the way the coach wanted and it I will add that it ended up becoming even for you Allie a situation of you had to do both yes exactly Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%.
As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Yeah, I'm getting like army camp vibes from this whole story. You know what I mean? Like you come here, it's like you're you're surviving mm-hmm. instead of performing, right? And it's like whoever's like the strongest, quote unquote, comes out the other side. You know, like that's the feeling I'm getting. Is that I think there are a lot true? of scenarios that we face in workouts that were all about like fake toughness, like yeah, just throwing like crazy, like that whole summer actually in 2018 we did not know the sessions ahead of time like we would show up and you know some days were easy but other days you know we're getting like like tons of intensity thrown at us we have surprise you know open water races stuff like that and I I feel like like this continued on throughout the full-time DTE and what ended up happening for me training wise is like I feel like I was going to the well so many times per week um in practice Mm -hmm. and eventually if you're doing that much intensity like if you're doing like a 10 out of 10 effort multiple times a week you are going to suffer the consequences I was just you know I I think um you know it sounds like you've really you've painted a picture of this toxic kind of training environment you know what what I'm wondering is I'm sorry for the straight question but like why did you stay like, maybe I'll ask Allie that first. Like, what was the promise that made you stay? Or when at some point you must have started to see um, the way that the coach was kind of affecting you negatively, right? Like, yes, yeah, so there, there are multiple answers to this question. I'd say the first one that appri- applies most broadly is that 
this coach did such a good job of um, making it sound like you needed to be in this type of environment for success. And I think the same can be said about a lot of DTE coaches in the sport of triathlon in general. Um, This coach in particular would shit talk athletes, um, like his own athletes who weren't in the DTE. Um, He would shit talk athletes who left the DTE and say that they weren't going to make it in the sport. They weren't going to progress anymore. Um, So, I mean, that's a manipulation tactic to make you feel like you are not going to (laughs) succeed unless you stay in the environment. So that was a big one. Um, The second one I already touched on was I was having success. And it's a lot easier to just be in denial and ignore the red flags when you're having success. Um, Third, um, this coach invested in me a lot emotionally and financially um, because I was one of the top athletes and because I did things the way he wanted. And all of that, I believe looking back was another manipulation tactic because it made me feel like I was indebted to him. And if I went against him, if I challenged him, like he was going to guilt trip me and he was going to bring me, bring up everything he'd done for me. Um, I knew like if I, if I left in the future, I felt like the narrative was going to be that he put so much into me and I had just left and like left him high and dry basically. Um, so that was also going on. And then there was so much gaslighting. Um, and the one thing that was the final straw for me, um, was about a month before I left in 2022, I was told, um, so I I think I was having a conversation with him about like a lot of concerns about the environment and like social dynamics within the environment. And I was not doing well mentally. And I was told that my mental health issues were going to persist whether or not I left the team. Like they would persist um, if I left the environment. Like he was saying I needed to go to a therapist because my mental health was the biggest thing holding me back at that point. And I think when when you're having issues in the environment and like so often it gets put back on you and your mental health, you start believing that like when you bring up concerns and they're constantly invalidated and the coach is telling you, I don't remember that happening or that didn't happen. You start to question your reality. You start to feel crazy. You can't trust your gut anymore. And in 2022, before I left, I was very much at a point where that had happened and had accumulated for four years. And I think at that point, like I finally learned, like I had learned what gaslighting was. And I think for the first time I recognized that it was gaslighting, that this was a manipulation tactic and it was abuse. And soon after that, I got myself out, but that's a huge reason why I stayed for those Mm -hmm. four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Like, I think we all, Mm -hmm. yeah, we all relate to that in in some way. Um, What about you, Caroline? Why did you I asked myself that question daily. Uh, It, similar to Allie, like we were having success. I was having success 
given courses that I had done before. Like I was seeing a logical progression and in some cases, like just FTP tests, I was exponentially growing on the bike. I was doing sets in the pool that I hadn't done since high school, let alone college. Um, Cause I was, I was an IMer. So like by the time I got to college, the distance freestyle sets were long gone. They were a thing of the past. Um, so for me, like I hadn't done threshold 100s at that point in almost eight years. Right. Um, and so for me, it was like a situation mm-hmm. of like, I'm having exponential growth. I am doing far better than what I ever dreamed I could do. Um, why would I mm-hmm. go against that? There's also for me, the element of, I think at the time that he took me on to the team, there was an element of like, he was already putting it in my head that like, I was lucky to be getting coached by someone who is an elite coach. Mm -hmm. And like, it did not help Mm -hmm. that he was getting accolades for his coaching during the time that we were there. Um, And so there was definitely a portion of me especially during that year of concussion protocol that just kept going and going and going. Like I would take or get through the no computer phase and no screen time phase just fine. And then it was clearance to start the return to play. And so I would email this coach and say, Hey, I've been cleared to start the return to play. And it was an immediate here's a 15 hour week. And then it would be immediate symptoms, regress, you're back on concussion protocol, you don't get a computer, you don't get any training, you don't get anything. So it just kept that cycle going until August of 2019. At which point I was finally like, asymptomatic with very little training that it was kind of like, all right, maybe we can actually start doing stuff. Um, and so at that point it was kind of, I'd had a full year of no racing with no, like with no result. What coach, when I pushed back, this was a, I was told what coach is going to take you now? You haven't had a result in a year. Then COVID hit and I still hadn't raced because COVID hit before my first race of the season of 2020. So then again, I kind of had this p- narrative playing in my head of no elite coach is going to take the gamble on me. He's willing to continue coaching me. Why would I leave something where like, I know I'm getting coached. I know that I'm progressing. It might not be as fast. It might not be the way I want it to be, but at least I'm progressing and at least I have a coach. And it was... Yeah. I'll jump in and say Caroline was not the only one that was told this. Like, I had heard him tell other athletes, like, no one else would give this this opportunity to you. Like, basically, you're lucky to be here. And that, honestly, yeah. But you were paying him, right? And percentage of all winnings. Okay. (laughs) Just like, there was the monthly pay. And then, in addition Mm -hmm. to that, if we – and when we – got payouts we had to 
give him a percentage and it was not Mm -hmm. a small percentage either Mm -hmm. um and like Mm. i think the last thing that kind of kept me there as long as i stayed was this kind of fear of him blackballing me the second i left like i'd seen other athletes leave and i'd seen what he'd done to their like image both within the team and when it came to sponsorship agreements and like in terms like he's so this guy was so well networked that like there was no way that we were getting out without like there being honest to goodness repercussions to our careers and the fear of that was enough to mm-hmm. keep me there as long as it did but yeah, i got out that was a huge thing for me as well. Like every time someone left the team, he'd spin the narrative to make himself look like the victim and to make the athlete look like the problem. And this, the retention rate on this team was not good. So this happened repeatedly. And I was in a position where like, I I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to leave because what is he going to say about me? And like, I don't want to tell anyone the truth about mistreatment that I've experienced because he's going to spin the narrative and he's going to make himself look like the victim. And then I'm going to get ostracized, not just by him, but by other teammates who are still like sucked in to the environment and brainwashed for lack of a better term. (laughs) Like, um, like it's it's this fear-based environment and you're literally scared to leave because of the potential consequences. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, you hear this coming out of LA now a lot where a lot of the female actresses are speaking up about like that they, if they spoke up about mistreatment, that they feared that they would be blackballed, that they would never work again, right? And that's like what I'm hearing you describe is like when you have, and triathlon is a small world, kind of like like the world of acting in LA is and it's like you um if someone's well networked they yeah, do you have power exactly right exactly what was going on mm-hmm. and so um I Caroline let's start with you are you um are you training again like what are you what are you doing now I left in at the end of April of 2021 um I am lucky that I live in New York City and so I have, I've known the Wassner twins for basically since the first time I did New York City Triathlon back in 2016. Um, and the day I left, I texted Laurel and said, I don't know what to do, but I need to get out of the coaching situation that I'm currently in. And she basically was like, let's jump on a phone call. Um, and there she didn't have any openings in her coaching and she didn't think that Beck did either so she suggested I go to someone else and then within about 10 minutes of us hanging up I had a text message from her twin Beck saying I would love to work with you if you're willing to give me a shot and I was saying I was like yes this this is exactly what I needed (laughs) um and so basically I set up a phone conversation to just like make sure that things were what I thought I needed at that point in time which was basically a complete reversal of what I had been doing um and we talked I asked her what she was what her kind of coaching philosophy was and it 
clearly made sense to me. And it clearly seemed like she had her head squarely on her shoulders. And I kind of was like, this allows me to get back into the triathlon world and continue training through the summer of 2021 and continue the racing that I'd already kind of said to the sponsorships and partnerships that I'd had for that year. Like I was able to Mm -hmm. continue and just finish that year out with her. Um, And so like I had at that point I'd Mm -hmm. planned through New York, but I hadn't planned anything past it. Um, And so basically I just was like, here are the races that I've already said yes to that I feel obligated to do, but after New York, whatever you decide that I should do, I will do. Um, And she basically said, let's do it. Um, And I've been with her ever since. Um, Yeah. Was there a period when you felt like you were kind of recovering, like either physically or mentally from the other training environment? Like, did it take a while to get back Um, to feeling normal? Yeah. I am going to ask Allie that too. I think (laughs) I was so like, it took me, the better part of 2021 to realize just the like the extent of the abuse and the gaslighting and the mm. mental toll and physical toll that three and a half years of coaching with this person had taken on me. Um, so it wasn't really until 2022 mm-hmm. that I kind of started to like fully understand what had gone down. Um, and I have this distinct memory of about a week before Allie reached out to me when she left um, of saying and like starting to jot down everything that had happened. And that was kind of the first step for me of like getting over it. Um, So like I got over the mental stuff a lot faster than the physical stuff. And I didn't even like really do research into LEA and RDS until kind of midway through that summer of 2022 last summer um and just kept on feeling like I could do like three four weeks of training without really like I could handle it it was fine and then all of a sudden I would just crash and burn and have like my immune system would go out and be like all right so here's like a giant virus that you can't fight um, but it wasn't COVID and it wasn't any of like the normal things. It was just like a cold or something. And like, I was just knocked out for a week at a time. And that just, that cycle just kind of kept going all through 2022. Um, and honestly into this year. Um, and then after Oceanside, I kind of realized this year, the extent of the damage I had done to myself when it came to like my period and in terms of like mineral deficiencies and whatnot, I basically, I DNF'd in White Lake down in North Carolina the same weekend as um, St. George. And basically that was because I did not have any energy. Like I got through the swim just fine. I got through the bike fine. I was sitting in third off the bike and like I couldn't run. Like my heart rate went up to 190 and I could not control it at all. And I was like, there's something drastically wrong with me. Like, what do I need to do to make it right? And like, I just pulled out of the race. I pulled out at mile four, like mentally, but I had, I still had two miles to get back to transition to be able to be like, here's my chip, sob. Um, right. And so that's when yeah. I kind of was able to do blood work and finally see 
firsthand what was going on and the numbers that I got were shocking. Um, and like, I'm still nowhere near where I need to be in terms of iron levels. I'm nowhere near where I know I need to be for vitamin B. Um, I'm, I've never been good at processing B. It's one of the vitamins that's just like, I, I don't process it. Like I'll eat everything that has, like I eat eggs and I eat yogurt and I doesn't absorb. So you're kind of still recovering. Yeah. I think the last race I did in Ireland was the first race where I actually felt like myself. Um, and that was, Mm -hmm. that was the first glimpse of like knowing that like I'm doing the right thing. I'm on the right path. Um, well, congratulations. That's amazing to feel yourself (laughs) again is in and of itself is a thing. Yeah. 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 Um, and what about you, Allie? Um, what happened? Like, when did you leave and what happened after that? So I spoke to some of the mental, um, health issues I started having in 2021, um, that I think looking back were probably the first indicator of Red S. Um, but then after that season, so like, I'd say end of 2021, beginning of 2022, I started to see a lot of the physical symptoms as well. Um, so I mean, it's just a laundry list. Like I had unexplained weight gain, um, brain fog, fatigue that was not fully explained by my training load, super painful periods, um, GI issues, um, insomnia. Um, like it was just crazy. Like I, I just felt physically ill. Like it's like something (laughs) is wrong with me and my body is finally saying no. Um, so this all got really, really bad in spring 2022 as my mental health also continued to decline. Um, I left the environment in May 2022. Um, and at that point, I honestly, and I think this is partially due to the gaslighting that I experienced, I was telling myself, like, it's just my mental health. Like, I've I've been stressed for four years. <laughs> like, my body has been in fight or flight for four years. Um like this, this is just mental health. It's like trauma, um, from what I experienced, like, um, like my former coach at no point indicated that this could potentially be due to overtraining or red S. And so I moved home thinking I'm just going through some serious mental health issues while things did not improve. So I, I hired a new coach, um, right after leaving. So May of last year, and he was great. He was fantastic understanding, like gave me autonomy with training, like everything I wanted in a coach immediately reduced my training load. Um, but things like my physical symptoms did not resolve. Um, so eventually I got blood work done, um, in August, 2022 for the first time in quite a while. Um, and that showed, pretty much all the indicators of red S. So high cortisol, um, high TSH. So my thyroid was super underactive, um, low estrogen, et cetera. Um, so at that point that basically confirmed that I was experiencing red S. Um, and I experimented with like, um, more of a reduced training load for a couple months, but eventually I just had to call it quits, um, with the coach that I had hired, um, and say like, I, 
I'm just not doing physically well enough to like continue to train this much. Like it, it just doesn't make sense to have a coach, um, at this point. Um, so since November of last year, um, I've been taking like more of a step back and I'd call it self-coaching, but it's not really true self-coaching because I'm not doing like a ton of structure yet. Like I'm kind of just training 10, 10 hours a week, um, putting em- emphasis on enjoying the sport again, doing what feels right, like a little bit of structure because I think I'd go crazy without it, but um, still not doing much. And I have no plans to race um, anytime soon because my body just needs to like go through this process and I kind of just need to let it, it run its course. Um, I also did see a therapist um, last summer um, which was actually my first time seeing a therapist in my entire life. And that kind of confirmed that what I experienced was abuse that I was going through trauma. Um, I finally reached out to former teammates to tell them, um, what had happened. And that I think was, um, huge in this experience because that was the first time that I had ever been validated, um, in what I experienced and in what Mm -hmm. I was feeling. And I, I'm so grateful that, um, I worked up the courage to do that. And that these athletes that are my former teammates were willing to hear me out, share their side of the story and validate me, because I think that was a huge part of my healing and like finally accepting that this was as bad as I thought it was. And I I don't think you can really heal without admitting that to yourself. So it's, I think one thing that to to note here is like how serious when we underestimate how serious LEA and Red S can be. And then in the situation you two are describing, you've layered on all of this kind of like abusive. Yeah. Chronic stress. Yeah, Like your body is not meant to be in fight or flight mode for like years at a time. And so that just, And I think that's something like our former coach totally missed and a lot of coaches in general don't take into account is like mental stress. Like your body feels that the same way it does physical stress. And to have been experiencing all of this, like you said, on top of um, what was probably too high of a training load already, like that's just a like insane amount of stress for your body to handle. Like, of course your body is going to break down at some point. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, like you both described, like you stayed because you were performing. Right. And it's so true, especially like in the beginning stages of LEA, you, a lot of people have that performance enhancement a little bit, like you're a little bit lighter, maybe you run a bit faster. Things tend to go well for a short period of time. Right. And then we want to keep doing those things. We remember we're like, okay, well, I had this good, I had this great race, you know, this when I was this weight or whatever, you know, those things are when I was like eating in a certain way. And then we're trying to always like reproduce that. And then it tends to like, then it falls off a cliff um, and fall off a cliff really quickly. And it's hard to get out. So um, man, I'm so sorry that this happened to um, both of you. Um, did you, you know, are there things, if you could look back, like, what would you tell, like, what would you tell, say like a younger athlete or someone like just out of college, who's looking for a training environment? Like, what would you tell them, Ali, what would you tell them to look for? 
Um, so one of the issues I think we both ran into is that when we started working with this coach, like he, he's super young and he didn't have a lot of former athletes yet. And so there wasn't really a good way to vet him. Um, I think it's super important to reach out to current and former athletes and get like a wide range of perspectives, um, on the coach and on people's experiences, um, I also think, um, I mean, everyone pretty much goes through safe sport training at some point, like if you're in an Olympic sport and what I learned in the safe sport training was not adequate to prepare me for what I experienced in that environment. Like there are extremely covert forms of abuse, like control and manipulation tactics that those trainings don't teach you. And I think it's extremely important to educate yourself on what those can look like and be aware of them, like not just happening to yourself, but also to teammates um, so that you can, you know, speak up and potentially help out someone if you see these things happening. Um, I mean, I, looking back, it's, it's hard to say like, oh, I, I wish I would have spoken out sooner because like there were potential consequences for speaking out. Like I can't really fault myself for that. But if I had to go back and do this again, like at the first time I recognized something was wrong, I would have reached out to its teammate. I would have reached out for help um, because like chances are like if this is happening to you, it's probably happened to someone else. And there is that fear that um, you're not going to be believed, mm -hmm. but I think if you, you know, talk to enough people and talk to the right people, like you're going to find that validation. Um, you're going to find someone who like hears you and believes you. Yeah. What about you, Caroline? What would you tell someone else? I think, I mean, now you hit it on the head. Um, I think that one thing that I would add is that the same way you vet college NCAA swimming and track coaches and whatever sport that you're coming from before you get to triathlon, like there is a vetting process that you go through. Like you go on recruitment visits, you talk to athletes that are current athletes, you talk to former athletes, so you network with the people that have already gone through the program. You look at the data, like I'm not nearly as much of a math person as Allie is, but like, I remember distinctly looking at the results of the colleges that I was applying to. Like, I remember looking at the results and being like, oh my God, this program does not have much history, but look at the results of the past five years. Mm -hmm. The improvement year to year of the athletes that are in the program is exponential. That is a program I want to go mm -hmm. to. Then you talk to the coach. Then you understand where they're coming from, how they train their athletes, how they do things. And like red flags galore if anyone starts talking about any sort of restriction of diet. Mm -hmm. Like if there's any mention of what you should and should not be eating, get out. Like you don't keep going with it. You just get out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I also think like while looking at like improvement rates can help you vet a coach, like you need to look at like the long term. Like 
I was there for four years and that is a pretty long time. But then I literally dropped off and disappeared. Like you need to look at like super long term. Um, yeah, long longevity of the athletes in that environment. Like, are they still mentally and physically healthy years into the future? And are the athletes sticking around? Because, you know, our team, like, it was like a revolving door. At the time I left, I was the longest standing athlete. So. Wow. Um, well, man, thank you both um, so much for sharing your stories. I hope that other, I think, and I hope to like coaches, like, I think we have some coaches that listen to the podcast and that people know. I find sometimes coaches don't fully take in the responsibility that they hold, you know, in terms of what they, the effect that they can have on an athlete, how they feel about themselves, not just their performance, but in, in all ways, um, and how that can go wildly positive or negative for someone. Um, so I just, yeah, I wish coaches would take a little more responsibility in general, um, for that, for people's well, especially if you're going to have them in a training environment and the basically living on a training camp that is a that's a lot of responsibility for someone to take on and um I hope people take that very seriously um but yeah one thing that I also would add on that aspect of the coaches who are out there like I coach I just came off of two years of coaching a USA swimming club year-round team and it wasn't until I did the coaches training separate from the athlete safe sport training that I started to see the red flags from this experience. And all of a sudden the floodgates opened and it was like clear as day. And like, I guess one thing that another thing that you can do as an athlete, like it doesn't cost money to do the coaching certification with safe sport um and i found that the coaching one is a lot more in depth than the one that athletes go through um and i guess i didn't see the red flags that i should have seen because i didn't do i mean we didn't safe sport is so new that when we started safe sport training wasn't even part of like the protocol that we needed to go through to become an elite athlete to compete internationally. We had the yearly physical that we had to have on paper, but that was it. Um, And now it's a yearly thing. Um, And I think that that the fact that the coaching one is more in depth is helpful, but you have to be conscious and cognizant of what you're reading and studying as you go through the training. Yeah. And also one thing to know on top of that is like, I think a lot of safe sport trainings focus on um, coaches who are in a power imbalance with regard to minors. Abuse can happen to adults too. And I think that was, that's one thing where I, I feel like people struggle to like take this seriously when you're not a minor, but like this can happen to you as an adult And it does not mean it's your fault. And it doesn't mean it's any less worse than you thought it was. Like, this can have far-reaching impacts no matter your age. And you can be taken advantage of by a coach no matter your age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I was saying to 
Ali, when we were talking before the show, like how when I was at the female athlete, um, what is it called? Female athlete conference in Boston. I was just, and I forget the number now. So this is going to be anticlimactic, but um, the number of safe sport reports, like it was something like 1500 a month or a week or so. The, the number was insane right? For the amount of resources that safe sport has. So the types of issues that you're, you know, that you're talking about and what you experienced um, is very, very common, I think, unfortunately, and in in particular in women's sports. So um, yeah, thank you both for telling your stories and and hopefully we can continue to change that um, and also have more female coaches, which is, I think, part of the solution. You know, it's it's not that men can't be great coaches. They can. But, um, you know, most of those safe sport reports are related to male coaches. And um, I think just having more female coaches in the mix will help a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually just started coaching a month ago for the first time. Fantastic. <laughs> um yeah, that this has been like like one of the things that I've really focused on in the past year, like like I touched on before, has been enjoying the sport again. And I think being able to like give back in that way really gives me purpose and like being around athletes whose energy um toward the sport is just infectious, like makes me enjoy it again. And I I like relish having the opportunity to allow these athletes to have a different experience than I did. I think breaking the cycle that way is so important um, because you have a lot of coaches right now who like are doing things like the old fashioned way or like they have bad experiences and then they, they treat their athletes the same way, like when they start coaching. So it's super important, like, um, to like create a different environment for future athletes and I I do think that athletes who have experienced bad things in their careers can be the best coaches because they you know clearly see what needs to be different yeah yeah I I think that one of the coolest things that I've noticed since switching from having a male coach to having this coach who is a female for me um, has been the realization that the only other time in my life that I had a female coach, I had the best results of my life. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, this year has been a testament to that. Like, even despite having to like completely revamp my vitamin intake and my mineral intake and like fixing the things that have been wrong for far too long, um, the understanding and the ability to have a conversation about my period without feeling like it's an invasion of privacy is something that one can only have with another female. Um, And I find that I've been able to be a lot more open now with what was going on because I have a female coach again and I can say to her, hey, I had a really bad day of my period. The workout didn't happen. How can we rewrite the rest of the week? Um, And like that is never like to break the taboo of talking about our periods. We'll never be comfortable with a male coach, but we can help make that less of a taboo and more of a thing that is useful in terms of adjusting, not necessarily 
using it as a crutch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, here's to the female coaches. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you both. Um, I'll, I will let you get on with your evenings and um, Caroline, take care of your car. Uh, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, thank you both. I appreciate you both so much. And um, I look forward to putting this episode out into the world. Thank you so much. Thank you.